If you're able, would you remain standing? We're turning once again to the fifth chapter of the first epistle of John. We're going to read verses 1 through 5 of First John chapter 5. This is the word of our Lord, 1 John 5, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see glorious things in this passage. We pray that you point us to Christ for asking Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We all like success stories, especially if the story includes an underdog who overcomes great odds to achieve great success. I I have a confession to make, and you might think less of me for that, but I love Hallmark movies. (laughs) Pray for me. That's great. Pray for me, Kathy. I love them, even though there's just really one Hallmark movie with different casts in different places. It's always the same plot. But I love them because there is always some sort of victory at the end. There's a clear winner. Uh, there's the clear bad guy. And, and, and I, I, like, I like that, the story of success. Well, the story of the Christian is the story of success. Uh, John here puts in terms of victory, of overcoming the world. And much like Hallmark movies, the plot of the story of every Christian is the same. Yes, there are unique details in each story, but the success and victory are always achieved in the same way. There's no difference between, uh, as, as far as that goes, between the lives of different Christians. Our story, as every good story uh, does, includes bad guys, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Includes a hero, the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, we're not the hero. Nowhere in the Bible we are the hero. The hero is the Lord Jesus Christ. And our story also includes redemption that leads to to victory. And that's everyone of us. That's our story as believers in Jesus Christ. So no matter where you live, no matter what color of your skin, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's our story. And it is always a story of victory because it is the story of Christ's work in us to make us more like himself. And he's going to do that to every one of us who are in Jesus Christ. Today we want to look at the idea of overcoming the world, having victory over the world. And the message is simple. 
all who have been born of God and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ have overcome the world and are overcoming the world. That's our story. Every one of us. Now, last week we saw that these five verses are a microcosm of the whole book. Uh, as I've said before, is, this is a really hard book to outline because John is not progressing logically from one point to the other. He keeps on weaving everything together, uh, actually very purposefully, masterfully, but just makes for a really hard book to outline because he doesn't cover one thing and then moves to the next thing and then moves to the next thing. He keeps on coming back. And these five verses intertwine everything he said so far in the book and everything he's going to continue to say to the end of the book. He keeps on hammering on these three tests of true faith. Do you want to know that you know Jesus Christ? These are the three tests. Do you believe in right doctrine concerning Christ? Do you love the brethren? Do you have obedience? Do you obey the word of God? That's how one knows that he knows Jesus Christ. And these three things are so intertwined that they can't be separated. All three are present in the life of the believer in Jesus. And then we also saw that the, we love the brethren by obeying God's commandments. And all of this is wrapped in faith in Jesus Christ. If you look at verses 1 and 5, both of these verses frame the passage in terms of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the gist of what we considered last week. And as we begin to consider the idea of overcoming the world, we need to ask ourselves, what is meant by the world? What does the word world mean? That's one of the, those, the word world is one of the hard words for Portuguese speaking people. The combination of an R and an L just is, I had to really work on that through the years. And you might say, really? It doesn't look like you've been working on it. But <laughs> I have. So what is the world? The word is used in several ways in the Bible. It's used for different groups of people, people groups that form humanity, that stand condemned before God in need of salvation. So the word world is used to describe the collection of humanity, fallen humanity before God in need of salvation. That's how Jesus uses in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, when he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might, not, might be saved. It's interesting that even in this passage, the word world is not used in the same way every time. In verse 16, it is the collection of all humanity, but when you come to verse 17, it changed its meaning. It means this place that we live. The Son of God came into this world, this place that we live, we call it earth. And that's another way that the word is used, the physical place we live. We see that in John 1, verses 9 and 10, where there John says, That was the true light which gives light to every man coming to the world, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. And even again here, John uses the word world in the same passage in different ways, because that last way that the world through him, um, that the world did not know him, it goes back to the collection of fallen humanity. The word world also means the entirety of creation, not just earth, but everything that's ever created, the universe. Uh, it's interesting that uh, often... Um, y'all, uh, well, not y'all, but some of you, my age or older, remember Carl Sagan. Remember what was his show? 
cosmos, right? Co- which is cosmos, the the universe. That's the word for that's the word translated world, but also can mean the universe. Uh, Jesus uses that way in John seventeen when he prays that his glory that he had with the Father will be restored, the glory he had before the world began, before the universe was created. And a fourth way that that word world is used is to describe or to title, to label people and systems of belief that are against God. We see that in John, 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17, where he talks about the love of the world, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life being the world. Those are people and systems of belief that are against God. It is in this way... This fourth way that John is using the word world here in 1 John chapter 5, verses three, uh, 4 and 5. The, the world that is opposed to God, everything that is opposed to God, that's the world that we are overcoming. We have, we have overcome and continue to overcome. And the world shows itself in several ways. Sometimes the world shows itself in moral pressures from outside and from the inside. Do you realize that, brothers and sisters, that the world is not just out there? The world may also be in here. The world is not just exterior to us. It can be also in in us. But sometimes the world shows itself in moral pressures from outside and from within. For example, pressure to conform to acceptable social norms, like the LGBTQ plus agenda, social justice, critical race theory, or general wokeness. The world pressures that, this more new morality, that uh, if you are outside of it, you're actually I- immoral. Much like what the prophet says, that uh, the prophets of this age have called good evil and evil good. But if you're working in the secular world, you are under these moral pressures. This is so-called Pride Month, which actually is a very apt description. Because pride comes when? Before the fall. It was pride that caused Satan to fall. And yet, everywhere you go, if you're in the secular world, you're being pressured to this new morality, where you are the immoral one if you don't embrace all these teachings. That's the world that's there. Uh, John Stott describes it as the outlook, the standards and preoccupations of a godless, secular society. And it's, it's, it's really easy to want to flee. It's really tempting to want to flee that. It, it's hard to go to work every day and have to deal with pressures to, oh, you have to put the pronouns you want on your um, on your badge. Or in our staff meetings, you have to introduce yourself and let us know if you're a man or a woman. I'm not making these up. These are things that are real that our people face in the workplace. And this constant idea that if you don't bow down to the God of this age, you are unrighteous. It's a pressure that's tempting to, to succumb to or to just flee. The problem is that you can't really flee anywhere. This is the world. It's going to be all around us. But also the pressure that, that comes from inward desires of our own hearts to want what is not Christ-like is the world, are the moral pressures that we face. That's what John talks about in John, uh, 1 John 2, 15, 16, and 17. The loss of the flesh, the loss of the eyes, the pride of life, all are all inward and yet 
are in the world. So we have these pressures, the manifestation of the world that way. The world also sometimes shows itself in intellectual pressures. False teaching, heresy, wrong doctrine. That's exactly what this church that John is writing to was facing. The world also sometimes shows itself in physical pressure, actual physical attacks. Two weeks, two Sundays ago, four churches in Olympia were vandalized because they were supporters of Options Pregnancy Center, uh, the Crisis Pregnancy Center just on Lily Road. They were vandalized, clearly and publicly posted that that was done to them because of their stand for life. That's the physical pressure of uh, the world there. So this is the world. This is the world that we are to overcome. This is the wicked world that we are to overcome. And it surrounds us from all sides. How do we deal with it? How do we deal with the world that surrounds us from all sides? Well, John tells us that we overcome it. That's how we deal with it. And notice that there is no condition There's no other step in verse 4. You are born of God, you overcome the world. It's just a natural progression. It's not like you are born of God, then, you know, after a while you say, I think I'm going to overcome the world. No, that's, that's what happens. A Christian is one who overcomes the world. There's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't overcome the world. When Paul says that we are more than conquerors in Romans 8, 37, we're more than overcomers, that's the same uh, word there, he is saying that every Christian is that. Every Christian is an overcomer. And notice also that there are two aspects in overcoming the world. A past overcoming and a present overcoming. Look at verses 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes, here is present, the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. This is a past tense verb, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world back to the present, but he who believes in Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God. So we have these two aspects of the present and the past overcoming of the world. Do you remember what was the last words of Jesus to the gathered disciples um, before he was crucified? Just think about it. You don't have to say it loud. Just think for a moment. Can you, can you think of what was the last? It's a little deceiving because they're not the last red words in our red letter Bibles. But the last words that Jesus spoke to the gathered disciples before he was crucified was John 16, 33. And he says this, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations. But be of good cheer. Why? Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Positionally, as in Christ, we are already in heavenly places. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. The moment we believe, the world was overcome. And that's what John says in verse 4. What, is our, what has overcome the world? Our faith. And this is not just the content of our belief, but a subjective faith in Jesus Christ. That's the past aspect. The world has been overcome in Jesus Christ. And because we are in Christ, we have overcome the world. But there's a present aspect as well. The new birth will result in our being justified in the sight of God through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And that will invariably lead to a progressive process of sanctification. That is, we increase in holiness in this life. And that's how we are overcoming the world. If you look at verses 4 and 5, where we have the present tense there, it is a, uh, in English, it would be a present continuous tense, where Jesus, uh, John is saying, you are overcoming the world. It's a process. It's a continuing process in our lives that are happening, that's happening right now. And that flows from what Christ has done for us. So our present overcoming the world happens because Christ has overcome the world. Galatians 2.20 helps us see that. Now, Paul, as the represented Christian, talks about his experience, but his experience is our experience. So he says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's the past overcoming the world. The, 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 we have overcome through our faith. But Paul continues, And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This present life that we live in by faith in the Son of God is the overcoming. It is our becoming more like Jesus Christ. John Stott again says, The unshakable conviction that the Jesus, the Jesus of history is the Christ, in the sense in which the false teachers denied it, the pre-existent Son of God who became human in order to bring us salvation and life, enables us to triumph over the world. It is in that faith that we are continually triumphing over the world as we live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, you have that great chapter on the resurrection of Christ. And Paul goes to great lengths to talk about the resurrection of Christ and then our future resurrection. And then Christ turning all things to the Father. And then he ends that chapter by saying, verse 57, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the past Overcoming of the world. But then he doesn't stop there. The, the, the chapter ex, actually ends with an exhortation, a command for us to continue to overcome the world. In verse 58, it says, Therefore, because of all these things that are true about Christ, about your future resurrection, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So here is the overcoming progression. You're born again in the beginning of verse 5. You, you believe in verse 4. Confession that Jesus is the Son of, of God is in everyday life in verse 5. Birth in Christ, faith in Christ, life in Christ. That's the progression of overcoming the world. The question now becomes, how do you overcome the world in everyday life? How is this progressive overcoming the world happens? How do we do that by God's grace? And it is a doing. It is an effort. Again, I keep on going back to Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, where Paul says, um, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not as in my presence only, but also in my absence, work out your salvation. Use the salvation there in the, in the, in the, uh, in the place of sanctification, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out. Spend energy doing that. Why? For because it is God who is working in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. And then he goes right back and says, do all things without grumbling and disputing. He doesn't stop. That's, that's how you're working out. You're doing the stuff that God is calling to you because God is doing that in you. So how do we do, how do we overcome the world in everyday life? Well, 
overcoming the world in everyday life is done by faith in the right Jesus of the Bible. In verse 5, he says, Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You overcome the world by believing in the right Jesus, fully God, fully man, a substitute for our sins, has all authority in heaven and earth. That's the Jesus we believe. This is the one who overcame the world for us in his death and resurrection and ascension. So we overcome the world in everyday life by faith in the right Jesus of the Bible. We also overcome the world by loving the brethren with Christ-like love. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. So we overcome the world by loving the brethren with Christ-like love. As Jesus told the disciples in the Upper Room Discourse in chapter 13 of the Gospel of John, you are going to give you a new commandment, and it's not a new commandment, really, it's a, it's a rewording of an old commandment. You're going to love one another, not as you love yourselves, but you're going to love one another as I have loved you. And as you do that, all will see that you are my disciples. Um, somebody mentioned, maybe it was you, on Wednesday about Thomas, uh, Thomas uh, Chalmers' famous sermon, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And as we are in love with Christ and we, we love with each other, that just kicks out every, uh, the world from in us, from in us and from around us. The conversions are seen as we love one another. We, over, we overcome the world by obeying God's commandments. In verse 3, For this is, the love of, this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. We love, so we overcome the world by disobeying obeying God. Now, we struggle with obedience. We struggle with this. And perhaps we struggle so much with obedience because we give too much credit to the power of the world. We think, oh, there's nothing I can do about it. I just have to go along with it. I just have to do it because it's so powerful. Or perhaps because we do not want to overcome the world, as John says in 1 John 2, 15 and 17. Or we struggle with this idea that we overcome the world by obeying God's command because perhaps we just haven't been born again and don't believe in Jesus Christ. And that's the honest truth. But we overcome the world by obeying God's commandments. We overcome the world in light of the work of Christ in us. We have a mindset. We believe that what God says concerning Christ's work for us is true, and we live in that way. We live in light of the fact that we are born again. We live in light of the fact that now the life that we now live is Christ living in us. We live in light of the fact that His Spirit is in communion with our spirits, that the mind of Christ is in us. And as we live with that mindset, we overcome the world. We also overcome the world by putting on Christ. Romans 13, 14 tells us that. And we do that by using the means of grace. We are an ordinary means of grace kind of church. We just believe that what the Bible teaches concerning the ordinary way that God works in people's lives is the way that God appointed for us to grow in Jesus Christ, for us to overcome the world. So how do we overcome the world? By putting on Christ. How do we put on Christ? By praying. Follow the example of the Lord in the Lord's, in the Lord's Prayer. By reading the Bible, 
we overcome the world by actually reading the Bible. I don't have time. I guarantee you, if we sit down and do a time study of your life, just for two weeks, you're going to see that that's a lie. You have time. Being on the preaching, the public worship in person, we put on Christ. Listening to a sermon online is not worshiping God in a public way. That's listening to a sermon online. There's something about the physicality of our service together. That together, as we come and as we hear the word together, as we sing together, as we pray together, as we eat together, as we get wet together in baptism, we are putting on Christ. That doesn't happen if you're not here. That doesn't happen if you're not here. So when a Christian forsakes the assembly of the saints together, he's literally just taking Christ off instead of putting on Christ. We put on Christ by fellowshipping with the brethren, by being with one another. Uh, somebody was telling me about the uh, discussion he had with a pastor from another Presbyterian body, and the pastor was just adamant about Christians getting together, uh, against Christians getting together to grow in the Christ outside of the Lord's day. Or he said, that's not important, we don't have to. The Bible says that we need each other. If we are going to do the one another of the Bible, which is part of putting on Christ, and you isolate yourself from other people, you're not going to overcome the world. And we overcome the world by participating in the sacraments, because Christ is present in those sacraments. So we overcome the world by putting on Christ, but also by not making provision for the flesh. As we saw on Wednesday night, Hebrews 12 teaches us that we are to run our race, looking to Jesus, and we are to lay aside every weight of the things that will keep us from money and every sin that so easily ensnares us so that we can do that. And we do that by making no provision for the flesh, not allowing things in our lives that will lead us to falling to the world. And lastly, we overcome the world by standing for Christ. In the book of Revelation, chapter 12, describes the brethren this way. It says, They overcame him, talking about Satan and the world, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. We overcome the world by standing for Christ. It's hard to say stuff. It's hard to live the right way. It's hard to be seen by the culture in general, society in general, as the pariahs, as the people who are outside of the current morality. And yet, we overcome the world by doing just that, by staying up for Christ. And some have overcome the world through death, including Jesus Christ. And we need to stand for the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. You might say, you know, I need to be wise and know what battles to pick. Sure, but you need to pick battles. To say that and never engage in a battle, that's just an excuse on your part. So we overcome the world by actually standing for Christ. Um, somebody in our family put a post on about uh, their refusal of shopping at Target because Target was pushing um, the, the Pride Month just so feverishly. And then another member of our family, who is an atheistic Jew, 
attack this other member saying that uh, this person doesn't know Christ. Christ would be ashamed of her for her statement to her bigotry. Well, you know what? If that member had not made that statement about Target, she would not have been able to engage this other member. And she engaged her back in love and shared with her uh, Matthew 11 about the gentleness of Christ. Now, if this other atheistic Jewish member of the family would repent and come to Christ, that she too would know Christ, all because she was willing to suffer the reproach of the world for the sake of Christ. So we don't overcome the world by just going with it. We overcome the world by actually standing for Christ in the midst of that. Remember I said a little while ago, it's really tempting to float in the river. It's really tempting to not always be against the current. During the, I don't know, brother, if you experienced that, but during the COVID stuff here, while well, you're in the Middle West, that's God's country, I guess, here is darkness. And sometimes just felt, can we, uh, I, I don't have to be, be going against the culture, going against the government all the time. I just want to float. But remember, in the river, the only fish that float are dead fish. Fish that are alive swim and don't float. And that's what we're to, we're to stand for Christ, which means often we're going to stand against stuff in the world. But if we want to overcome the world, that's what we need to do. Now, John Calvin says, it is indeed true that our warfare continues through life, that our conflicts are daily, nay, that, they, that new and various battles are every moment on every side stirred up against us by the enemy. But as God does not arm us only for one day, and as faith is not that of one day, but is the perpetual work of the Holy Spirit, we are already partakers of victory as though we had already conquered. Brothers, sisters, our Lord says, in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let us pray. Father, thank you that you are a God who is in control of all things, that your Son has overcome the world, and in Him we too have overcome the world. Enable us to live lives that are growing in Christ's image, that are growing in holiness as we continue to overcome the world. For asking in Jesus' name, amen.